Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago, through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Brilliant, thanks, Ali. Ooh. Do um, do keep that open in front of you, Acts chapter one. Um, hopefully, if there are, if you've got children, there were sheets, uh, coloring sheets, activity sheets for you to, to have a look at that with them. Feel free to to kind of quietly talk about that with them as we go through and help them uh, through the sermon. That'd be really great. Uh, we're going to pray as we come to God's word together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we 
that praise you as the risen King. Thank you that you speak to us now through your word, and we ask that you would help us to listen this morning and respond to what we hear in your name. Amen. Well, as Danny has already said, summer uh, is, is just about behind us. Uh, we're about to enter into a new term, and that means lots and lots of things are starting back up again, aren't they? Uh, maybe you start school this week, and maybe it's a new school. Uh, maybe you start a new class uh, this week. Uh, maybe you've got a new job. Maybe you're heading back into the office, having been working from home uh, for a long time. Uh, a new term means new things for lots of us. And it's as everything kind of picks back up again in, in the new normal uh, that I want to think about a question this morning. Uh, that is, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? What, what are you hoping for this term? What are you planning this term? What are you going to do with your time, uh, with your money, your energy, uh, your, uh, your waking hours? What, what are you going to do? What are your priorities? It's a question for us as individuals, and it's a question for us as a church. There's been a lot of change, isn't there, over the past few months for us at CEC. Whether that's because of lockdown restrictions or staff changes, lots of things have changed. And with that has come a certain degree of uncertainty. We're not sure what is going to come next. And so for us as a church, the start of a new term, well, it, it provides us with an opportunity to ask ourselves, what are we doing? What should our priorities be as we move into a new term, into the next week or month or year? And it's those questions that bring us to the book of Acts. You see, as we think about this question of priorities, the, the best thing, the most important thing that we need to do it is to come to God's Word. As individual Christians and as a church, we need to come to the Bible. We need to let God show us through His Word what our priority should be. And the book of Acts is a brilliant place to do that because in Acts we get to see God's plan for the world. We get to see His agenda. And it's as we begin together to grasp that plan, to, to see what's top of God's to-do list that we find our plans and priorities begin to change. Whether that's as we go back to school or to work or as we think about what church life looks like this term. And so as we go through Acts together, my prayer for us is that our plans and priorities, both individually and collectively, would be shaped by God's Word. And we're going to jump straight into chapter 1, as we just had read, and see how those two things work together, God's plans and our priorities. And so first we want to look at God's plan. God's plan, just look at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke, the author of Acts, begins his book by reminding us that this is actually volume two. Volume one was his gospel, the gospel of Luke. It was his account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And right back at the start of volume one, he explained why he's writing. 
He said that he'd, he'd carefully investigated and wrote down an account of Jesus' life so that this guy Theophilus and anyone else who might read it could be certain, could be convinced that these things really happened. And more importantly, that they really matter for every person everywhere. And so can I say right, right at the start, before we even get any further into Acts, if you're someone who is new to Christianity, or if you've never read one of the gospel accounts, the accounts of Jesus' life before, why not make that a priority this term? Make it a priority to read Luke's gospel, to see what really happened all those years ago, and to begin to understand why it still matters today. Luke wrote his gospel so that we could be certain of all that Jesus did and taught 2,000 years ago when he was on earth. But he didn't stop there. I wonder if you notice in Acts 1 verse 1, Luke says that part 1, his gospel, was all about the things Jesus began to do and teach. And so as we come to part 2, the book of Acts, it's not the case that, that Jesus sort of steps off the stage and, and now it's all about the, the apostles or the Spirit. No, Acts is about the continuing work of Jesus, of the risen Lord through his people. Jesus Christ is very much at work today in his world. And Luke writes this volume 2, part 2, to convince us of that fact. And we can see how Jesus continues his work in the two key instructions that he gives to his disciples at the beginning of chapter 1. The first is to wait for the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit. It's there in verses 4 and 5. It says, On one occasion, while he, that's Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right at the end of Luke's gospel, he records how Jesus commissions his disciples to take this message of forgiveness and life in his name right from where they are, from Jerusalem, to the very ends of the earth. That's the task, that's the, the job that Jesus wants them to do once he's gone. But before they go anywhere, he says, just hold on, J just wait a moment. They need to wait because, well, because they need to understand that by themselves, the task Jesus has given them is impossible. In their own strength, the gospel wouldn't make it to the guy next door, let alone across the Roman Empire. And so Jesus says, wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised. Wait for the Spirit. If you've read any of the, the Old Testament, you'll know that the Spirit has always been active in the lives of God's people, right from the very beginning. However, as you read the Old Testament, you see that the Spirit's activity, well, it is very specific. The Spirit comes to particular people at particular times for particular reasons. But all the way through, God promised that, well, that one day that would change. Through the prophets, ending with John the Baptist, God promised that all who trust in Jesus would receive the Spirit. God himself would come to live in them. That, that was the promise right through history. 
And here in verse 5, Jesus says that promise, it's about to be fulfilled. The Spirit has come. He's going to come on God's people. And to the disciples, they, they just need to wait a little longer. They need to wait for the Spirit. And we can see why they need to wait in the second command that Jesus gives, which is to be his witnesses. Be my witnesses. Is there in verse 8, if you look down there. Again, Jesus speaking says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The reason the disciples need to wait for the Spirit is because it's the Spirit, as Danny has shown us already, that will empower them to carry out the task that Jesus gives, carry out this otherwise impossible mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, what Jesus is asking them to do, what he is commissioning them to do, it, it, it's far bigger, far greater than anything they could imagine. You can see that in the question they ask in verse 6, if you look there. Lord, are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you see what they're asking? Jesus, is this it? It is today the day that you're going to bring in the kingdom. Is it going to happen now? Are we at the end? To which Jesus says no. Verse 7, no, no, not yet. No, actually, this is just the beginning. You're going to experience some of the kingdom now as the gospel goes out, but, but so much of it is still to come. So much of the kingdom is not yet. Okay, Jesus, the disciples say, well, we're not quite there yet, but... But you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel, aren't you? You are going to overthrow these Roman oppressors and give us a kingdom back. Your people, the Jews, aren't you? To which Jesus says, no, wrong again. The time frame of my kingdom is bigger than you think, and so is the extent. Verse 8, it's going to spread beyond Jerusalem. It's going to keep spreading to Judea and to Samaria. It's going to go to the very ends of of the earth. Jesus' kingdom is not limited by nationality or race. It's not limited by geography or ancestry. No, it's going to spread everywhere, across the world, to all people. And it's not a kingdom that's going to come through military power or political gain. This is not the beginning of a revolution or a coup. Jesus is not trying to recruit some sort of elite army to take on Rome. No, this, this massive kingdom is going to come as ordinary people bear witness to him. As they do the very ordinary thing of speaking, of proclaiming the gospel to everyone they meet. So you see, Jesus says, the time and the extent of my kingdom it is bigger than you can imagine. It's eternal. It's global. It'll spread from Jerusalem across the world to people from different countries and classes, backgrounds and beliefs, races and religions. And all of that, all of that will begin with this small bunch of weak, scared, confused individuals all wondering what to do next. And so can you see why Jesus says, wait, wait. 
You cannot do this alone. God's kingdom can only come in God's power. And so they must wait for the Spirit so that they can witness to the world. And that's what they do. Having given his final instructions, Jesus ascends into heaven as the risen Lord in verse 9. And then in verse 11, the disciples who are understandably a bit taken aback by everything aren't even given a moment's pause when some angels arrive and tell them to stop standing around and get on with it. Go and do the job you've been commissioned to do. Jesus is gone. He will come back, they say. So get on with it. And after the gentle nudge from the angels, verse 12, we read, the disciples do what they've been told. They go back to Jerusalem and they wait. But just notice how they wait. Look across to verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. The disciples, it seems, have, have, have grasped, have got the fact that what they're being asked to do, they cannot do alone. They've, they've understood that God's kingdom will only come in God's power. And so they wait. And they wait prayerfully. As God's people face what seems to be an overwhelming task, they do the one thing that is so obvious, but we so often forget. They pray. And it's this sort of dependent prayer that comes up time and time again in the book of Acts. We're going to see it as the church experiences opposition and trial and persecution and hardship. Time and again, their response is to get down on their knees and to pray. It's what they do here in verse 14 as they wait for the Spirit. And it's what they do in verse 24 as they try to replace the 12th apostle, Judas, who had abandoned them. Because if you can remember, back in, in Luke's gospel, it was 12 people, 12 men that Jesus chose to, to walk with him, to, to listen to him, to learn from him, and then to take his message to the ends of the earth. But as Peter reminds us in chapter 1, one of the 12, Judas, Judas Iscariot, he, he betrayed Jesus. He sold him to the enemy and in the end killed himself out of grief and guilt. And so as the disciples wait for the Spirit and as mission gospel is about to begin, Peter looks around and realizes they're a man down. They need a 12th apostle. Verse 21 says it needs to be someone who has been with them, someone who's been with Jesus from the beginning, someone who's witnessed the resurrection. Verse 23, they, they come up with two names, but they're not sure which to choose. And so, verse 24, they pray. They ask the Lord to show them which one is his choice. They pray, they cast lots, and verse 26, Matthias is chosen and added to their number, added to the apostles. And so now they're ready. Now they're prepared to carry out the mission Jesus has given them. They pray, they prepare, and they're ready to go. And next week, in chapter 2, we see how mission gospel begins. But for now, I hope you can see how Acts chapter 1, it sets the scene for us. It shows us God's plan, his, his agenda for the world, uh, between then and Christ returning. 
the gospel, the good news about the kingdom, will go to the ends of the earth. It will spread right across the globe and down through history through God's spirit-empowered people, people who speak and proclaim about the risen Lord Jesus. God's kingdom will spread in God's power through God's people. God's kingdom will spread in God's power through God's people. That is his unstoppable plan for the world. And it's as we know and grasp that plan that that completely changes what we do when we get up tomorrow morning. It's as we see the unstoppable, inevitable spread of the kingdom that we as a church get on board and let that shape what we do together. God's plan should radically change our priorities. And it's our priorities that we're going to briefly think about as we finish. How should Acts 1 shape what we do as individuals and as a church this term? I think there are two big things we see here. The first is that our priority is to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the gospel. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, we saw how Jesus sends his spirit for the explicit purpose of driving his people out to share the gospel with others, to witness, to proclaim. That began with a few men and women huddled together in a room. But as we're going to see next week, once the Spirit comes to those people, well, the good news begins to spread and it does not stop. The gospel is proclaimed, people hear it, they believe it, and they go on to spread it. And so the message is passed from person to person, city to city, country to country, century to century, until somebody told someone else who told you. Someone told you, didn't they? uh, That forgiveness and life in God's kingdom could be found in Jesus Christ alone. Someone told you and you believed. Acts chapter 1 verse 15 says that in the beginning there are about 120 followers of Jesus, less than in this room this morning. Today, around 2 billion people call Jesus their Lord and Saviour. God's kingdom will spread in God's power through God's people. And it is still spreading. The story of Acts is not over. It is an unfinished story. It won't be over until Jesus comes back, which means their mission is our mission. Their task is our task. We might not be witnesses in the same way that Peter and the apostles were, but we weren't there with them back then. We weren't taught by Jesus. We didn't see the resurrection. We're not apostles like them. But remember what Luke said at the start of his gospel? He said, I've written it all down for you. I've carefully investigated everything and I've written it down. You don't need to have been there because it's all written down in here. Which means if you trust in Jesus this morning, then then you have the same spirit, God himself living in you. You have the same spirit in your heart and you have the same gospel in your hands. Which means our priority as a church is and always will be to proclaim this gospel in the power of the Spirit. 
to keep telling people about Jesus until the day he comes back. That's our job. That is our priority, to proclaim the gospel and to do it prayerfully. That was the other big thing we've seen, isn't it? The other big thing, people will keep proclaiming and they will keep praying. You see, if you've ever had to try to have a conversation with someone about Jesus, you'll know that it's not always easy. We're going to see in Acts that speaking about Jesus lands the church in some pretty bad places. They end up facing opposition and persecution and trial. And we probably experience that in our own lives. How speaking about Jesus can get you the cold shoulder from someone at school or, or a hostile response from someone at work. Evangelism is hard. In fact, it's more than hard, isn't it? Evangelism is impossible. Do you know that? It is impossible. By ourselves, we are unable to convince a single person to believe in Jesus. Not one. It doesn't matter how many books on evangelism you've read. It doesn't matter how many Tim Keller talks you've listened to. It doesn't matter whether you've memorized two ways to live or read word one-to-one with half of Chessington. We cannot change anyone. Because God's kingdom spreads in God's power. It's through the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, that we are given the boldness to speak. And it's the Spirit in his power, who brings people to new life in Christ. God's kingdom spreads in God's power. I know that seems obvious, but I I so often forget it, don't you? I so often forget and try to do it in my own strength and power. And Luke knows we forget it, so time and time again in Acts, we're going to see him remind us, it's not about you. It is God who works, God who acts, God who transforms, God who brings people from death to life. God is the hero of this story. And as we see and understand that, just like the believers in Acts, our first and last thing that we will do is pray. Yes, of course we'll speak. Yes, we'll proclaim. Yes, we'll plan and prepare and think hard. But all of that will be fueled by humble United, urgent prayer. That's the pattern we see in Acts. The people pray and they proclaim. They pray and proclaim. Pray and proclaim. That's how the kingdom spreads from these 120 to 2 billion. And so that's what the church did. Those were the priorities of people who understood God's plan for the world. And so let's pray together that that those would be our priorities this term, that individually, as we get up tomorrow morning, and together as a church, we would be people marked by dependent prayer and bold proclamation of the gospel. And let's pray that through us, God would continue to spread his kingdom, his unstoppable kingdom, to the glory of his name. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you show us your plans for your world. Father, thank you that the spread of your kingdom, the advance of your gospel is top of your priority list. And Father, thank you for that wonderful truth that you choose to use us to do that. That you empower us by your spirit and send us out to make Jesus known. 
Father, would we be people marked by those two things, dependent prayer and bold proclamation to the glory of your name. Amen.